Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promoting for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Want to get a chiseled look in the jawline? Sculpt and shape your jawline with added volume from Juvederm Volux XC. Juvederm Volux XC is an injectable gel specifically designed to be robust enough to improve moderate to severe loss of jawline definition. And it is the first and only hyaluronic acid filler approved for the jawline. Add volume to your jawline for a chiseled look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M dot com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hi, I'm Phil Craig. And I'm Andrew Loney. And together we aim to bring you the most scandalous stories and some of the most scandalous people in history. So thanks for joining us here on the Scandalmongers podcast. Good morning. Good morning. Now, any more feedback from our multitude of fans? Well, actually, do you know what? Having upset you last week by talking about your non-existent nose hair and uh, stained corduroy trousers. Gosh, how, how shameful. There is a nicer review. Now, where did I put it? I thought I'd say this for you. Oh, yes. Here we are. From Geraldine McGowan, 2385. What a great podcast. I've enjoyed them all. But I think we do need a special on where does Andrew Loney get his energy from? <laughs> oh, I see. Oh, right. Alcohol. Author, a literary agent, a podcaster, and a father. And a husband, too. <laughs> Phew. That's very impressive. Well, you have a fan. There you are. It's, oh, that's great. Is there no beginning to his talents? Is there no beginning to his talents, indeed. Um, well, we finally came to it. I mean, this is the biggest scandal, isn't it? Uh, political scandal in Britain for a long time. Uh, well, interesting. Yes. I mean, it's certainly been a, a psychodrama, uh, and I don't suspect it's ended yet. Um, uh, it's an extraordinary figure in, in British politics who's sort of dominated it for a long time and who's had lots of ups and downs. I think he likes to compare himself to Churchill, but I think not. they're not quite right, that, that analogy. No. Did you vote for Johnson? Very personal question. No, I'm, I've never been a great fan of Johnson. I did. I voted for him as mayor of London, and he was one of the first Tories in a long time to to be mayor of London. Um, and yes, and actually did a good job there. I mean, in some ways, this is a sort of sad story of a 
a boy with great ambitions who had some early successes and kind of sort of through his own, I think, faults of character, destroyed himself. Yeah, I think that's absolutely right. Um, but for a long time, he was sort of given a pass, wasn't he? Because most people knew that he played fast and loose with the rules and that he was a bit of a chancer. But he also had this great energy and talent for kind of boosting people's morale and a good command of the English language. And, you know, he was a kind of national figure of affectionate fun uh, for a while. And he was a vote winner. Um, and, you know, I think still, uh, you know, in the constituencies as someone who people feel they can vote for in spite of everything. I mean, it says something about this was the changing values in Britain, that someone like that can get to the top um, uh, in spite of all the children and the affairs and the lying and everything else. Indeed. Um, I mean, quite a lot of our audience is not British. Um, so, yeah, Boris Johnson, successful politician, maverick, uh, mayor of London, the face and voice of the Brexit campaign, leave campaign. Um, very successful uh, in that role and then won an election um, after a bit of bloodletting in the Tory party. But there was lots and lots of scandals, not just the one that brought him down. I mean, there was his whole time in number 10. There was was the Owen Patterson affair where he tried to help somebody who'd been accused of kind of fiddling the rules on lobbying. And then he asked people to kind of vote for him and then change his mind. There was the, the, the famous golden wallpaper and suggestions he was trying to get people to fund it. Um, well, I think he has. I mean, he's had lots of people fund his. I mean, he earns a lot of money, but he's, he's, he goes through it, and and he's a great man for freebies. And of course, he tried to get the the Queen to um, uh, uh, interfere in, in domestic politics. You know, we've got a whole series of things where people he's he's tried to bend the rules, and of course, his resignation honours list, uh, which had some pretty controversial names yeah. on it. Yeah. He's someone who, who kind of feels the rules don't apply to him. Um, I think that's what got him, that's what got him in the end, wasn't it? The, yeah. You know, the suggestion that inside Downing Street there were all these rule-breaking parties going on, whether he went to them all or not. And he didn't go to most of them, actually. But he set the tone, his own attitude, you can imagine, around him. And then, of course, people were resigning and briefing. And it was obviously a complete shambles that whole operation in Downing Street. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, and I think our, our interview, E, has a very good insight into all this as political editor of Unheard, uh, and I think has written some of the most perceptive sort of articles on, on Boris, so we're very lucky to have him. Yeah, Tom, who we're going to speak to in a minute, I think he's probably the best political writer in Britain, actually, he, and he really did get close to Johnson and wrote some really interesting things about him. Yes, no, I agree. I think in a really interesting... Uh, an interesting guest to have uh, as we come to the end of our ne- our sort of latest series. Is it is this the last one in a little run? Or we've got one, one more, one more, and I think we've right. discussing what we'll do there. Perhaps another royal subject. Yeah, I think maybe we need to go back to the royals. Give the people what they want. Yes, um, exactly. It's important too. It is important too. Maybe not as important as as as, as Boris Johnson, but uh, yes, we'll do that. Oh, yep, I should have said we're now up to nine hundred. Let me just check nine hundred and. 39 right subscribers on youtube we know we got about this we're getting closer and closer to our 61 61 is all we need that's all we need um well hopefully people will enjoy tom and rush to press that subscription button yep i hope so on both counts shall we do it let's go for it all right sweet you a minute hello tom thank you for joining us thanks for having me 
I want to start by reading reading you some of your own words, which I thought might be a good a good beginning for our conversation. Here it is. Let's face it, Boris Johnson blew it. And for what? Not for drawing a trade border down the middle of a country or for handling of a pandemic. Not for some misguided foreign intervention or other government failure, policy difference, or even act of sleaze. He was dragged from power by a rebellion of his own party because they'd just become so exasperated by his dishonesty and his chaotic inability to do the job. The fault, dear Brutus, is not in our stars, but ourselves. And deep down, Johnson knows this. Wow. <laughs> seems Still seems roughly accurate, right? It still seems remarkable, really, that such a man, for all his many great qualities, and we'll get, we'll get to those, I'm sure, could actually ever become prime minister, don't you think? I suppose it's the, um, the interesting character traits that you need as a campaigner versus a, an administrator. Um, and that's, they're two different skill sets, I think. And I, I suppose you're seeing something of that with Keir Starmer now in slightly kind of dull campaigner, but perhaps he will be, um, a very good administrator. You know, who knows? But with Johnson, yeah, it, this is a guy that a lot of people, who had worked with him obviously believed he was sort of uniquely unsuited to the job of prime minister. You know, there were others who had worked with him who thought actually that the only job he could do would be prime minister, you know, that he wasn't suited to all of the other jobs in, uh, in the cabinet, you know, foreign secretary, he wasn't a very skilled foreign secretary. and wasn't seen as um, having been very effective. Um, he needed to be like the figurehead, the leader, uh, so some people thought he would it would suit him um, and that, you know, he, what he really needed was a sort of prime minister of his own underneath him, a kind of Michael mm. Gray. Well, that was what he had as, as mayor of London. I mean, he seemed to be good at delegating and people were running the show and he was just the front man. Exactly. He had Eddie Lister, didn't he, in London, famously, who had was it Wandsworth Council he'd run. So, he, you know, he this, this guy knew London. And he knew how to. Um, how to administer. And Johnson was able to be the salesman on top, the guy who went and campaigned for London all around the world and for himself, obviously, you know, with his eye on, on number 10. I, d- I do think that actually, I think what he needed was somebody to run the show. And he never quite got that. Eddie Lister was brought back in to number 10. He, need, he needed a willy. Well, perhaps he didn't. <laughs> yes, he had he had uh, an effective one of his own. I think that was part of the problem. Um, okay, for our non-British listeners, this is a very funny, slightly dirty joke. Mrs. Thatcher <laughs> always said I needed a Willie, and because she meant Willie Whitelaw, who was famously her chief of staff. Johnson, of course. Well, the word can mean many things with him. <laughs> yes, exactly. Yeah, yeah, he's uh, one for the ladies. Um, but he, yeah, he. I, I do think that is a, a key, and I think he would acknowledge that actually that. He there was just such instability there, wasn't there? He had Eddie Lister who came back, but he was on his way into retirement. He didn't want to be there full time. He had Dominic Cummings for the first six months, where and that was probably Johnson's most effective time as prime minister, where he took a really desperate situation and managed to um, turn it to his advantage, winning an election after six months. Uh, you know, an extraordinary election victory, 80 seat majority, biggest since uh, I think the 1987 election for the Conservative Party. You know, so this was a remarkable and taking the country out of the European Union, the thing that Theresa May had not been able to do. 
and during that time he had dominic cummings uh with him driving this sort of ship of state uh at the wall really and daring um you know and, and saying you know i'm a kamikaze i will i will smash this thing to bits unless unless we get what we want and they got what they wanted and then the pandemic hit you know this is i mean this is a remarkable period in british politics from the brexit crisis immediately into the pandemic you know the pandemic hit i think while johnson was on holiday in the caribbean sort of uh resting after his election victory uh in the december and then bang and then it all falls apart because it's you know can you think of a crisis more that he is less suited to than managing a pandemic you know it's hard to think of one well that's tr- true and you know famously obviously the, the the downing street parties people will always remember as the, the the trigger that got rid of him, but I think people knew, didn't they, that he and 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 maybe people didn't care that that he was a rule breaker, that he that he didn't seem to bother with and you know normal societal responsibilities and broken marriages and betrayed women and just a chaotic, slightly dishonest man. But perhaps we decided in 2019 that was the man we needed for that crisis, but not as you say the next one, which needed. Maybe focus, responsibility, managerial skill, uh, and, and and honesty, which he just didn't seem to have. Yes, yeah. You you look back, don't you, and you think Theresa May um, was uniquely unsuited to the the crisis that she was given mm. uh, Brexit. She was too dogmatic. She she couldn't bring she couldn't build a team. She couldn't sell her deal. She couldn't sell her deal in Europe. She couldn't sell it at home. She just she just couldn't. She didn't have the skill set necessary for the crisis that she she inherited. She would have been quite good in the um, in the COVID pandemic if that had been the crisis that she had faced. You know, she was honest, serious, earnest. You know, on top of the detail, all of those things. I mean, what she wasn't was, was decisive, which perhaps you needed to be during that crisis. And Johnson was the reverse. You know, he had the skill set for the particular crisis at the beginning. You know, where. Um, you know, the country needed the country the country had got into this pe- period of stasis you know it, it was completely stuck um between the two camps in parliament uh and perhaps you needed a kind of shyster to uh to smash it open um and 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 i think there are lots of mp's that do reflect on this period and think you know if parliament had been more effective it had been if, if it had been able to do its job perhaps Johnson would never have become prime minister. And then, as you say, he becomes, um, you know, we move into this different um, crisis and, and it's the honesty that was the problem. But but again, we, we should look at the history because I was going in and out of Downing Street uh, to profile Johnson uh, in early 2021. Um, and by this time, his popularity is very high. You know, he survived COVID himself. You know, he'd got very sick. He'd gone into hospital. There was a level of public sympathy for him and what he's, you know, and his family. Uh, and there was that sense of, you know, when you're when you're in crisis that you all come together. And I think that carried him through. And then there was that period where people felt that Britain had done okay because of the vaccine rollout and it had been slightly quicker than in Europe at the time. Um, and so there was this general sense of Johnson hasn't been so bad or the things, the mistakes that he has made, they're understandable because we're in a crisis. People were giving him the benefit of the doubt. Mm. That, that the height of that period was the uh, um, by-election in Hartlepool 
where the Conservative Party won the by won the election, and this was a and rock. You, you were traveling. You were traveling with him, weren't you? At this point, I think. Yes, I remember it. I remember it clearly because you'd go to Hartlepool, and I'm from the northeast of England. You know, this is former Labour territory, and Johnson was a was an enormous asset for the party. There was a big balloon. A blimp of Johnson. Uh, when you got to Hartlepool, people were thanking him in the streets for what he'd done during COVID. You think think of that now. You know that really isn't that that long that 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 long, far away. That was that's two years ago uh, that this was happening, and then obviously it starts to fall apart. Um, and and I think we can. You know, there are lots of ways of thinking about that. I mean, first of all, he has to th- take the blame himself. You know, his. The, the revelations of what was actually happening inside start to um, under undermine all of that public um, sympathy that he had that, oh, we're all in this together. It's been tough for everybody, but we've all suffered. You know, we've got through it together. Any mistakes we, you know, all prime ministers would have made mistakes. That was the general feeling. And then it and then it, dissip, it dissipates very quickly once it looks like he's taking the mickey and not abiding by the rules himself, partying while, you know, people couldn't what, see their dying relatives. Was there a moment when he could have saved himself? I mean, was this inevitable because he didn't really have people supporting him or, or could he have actually changed things once Partygate started? I think he undoubtedly could have handled it better if he had have... Um, you know, if he'd have come out honestly early on and said, "Look, I didn't know the extent of what was going on, but it seems abs- it seems clear uh, from that we've actually broken uh, some rules. We're you know we're desperately sorry. We um, you know this was a height of a crisis, um, etc. You know, come clean, mm. dealt with it in one in, in one go, rather than this kind of drip, drip, drip. In, you know." Uh, scandal that was it just it just built and built and built uh, and then it became a question of honesty you know and so you and, couldn't you couldn't trust him and was there sort of overconfidence i'm just thinking going back to cameron and and the brexit refer and the referendum that the people had had sort of um he, he just thought he was unassailable so he, he didn't need in some ways to to make any concessions or to build a team around him yeah, absolutely. I, I think, I mean, there's certainly, certainly a question of hubris and the fact that, you know, he, he'd become prime minister doing the same thing his entire life. You know, so he'd made, he'd been sacked from the Times for lying when he was younger. And then he ended up at the Telegraph and become pretty much the most famous journalist in Britain and had earning more than any, virtually any other journalist. He'd, um, lied to the, uh, proprietors of the spectator that he wouldn't become an mp at the same time as being the editor of the spectator magazine and he'd done it anyway and he hadn't faced the consequences he'd been sacked from the conservative front bench for lying about an affair and then ended up as uh, mayor of london um and so i think with johnson he is absolutely loath more than anything to bow to somebody else's rules you know, that he or, or to be in somebody else's pocket, owe somebody something for his rise or his position. And so he would never, uh, he would never have done that. He would never have sort of, you know, feel that he had to sort of bow and scrape. That's the last thing he ever wants to do. Um, he's a, he, you know, he's a, a rule breaker by. Do you think he's finished? I mean, I mean, he after all almost came back. I mean, he got the 100 votes 
um, when he could have stood against Rishi Sunak and stood stood back. And I mean, clearly he's out of parliament now. But I mean, do you think that he might find a seat and that perhaps and come back? See, I, see, I used to think um, along those lines that exactly as you say, when when this trust imploded, what is remarkable is how close he came to returning. You know, remember, we're talking six weeks after he left office. You know, imagine that, you know, six weeks within a six week period, a premiership blows up. And the man who had been kicked out for losing the faith of his own party would just suddenly return. And, and, and also all his ministers are resigning. I mean, they had no support really within the parliamentary party. Or very exactly. Little. Exactly. Yeah. Um, you know, that that's what cost it. Um, there was this sort of mass stampede away from him. And and yet six weeks later, it looked as though he might not get the numbers. And indeed, um, Graham Brady, the chairman of the 1922 committee, had said that um, Johnson had got the numbers uh, to make it onto the ballot. So there, it would have been Johnson and Rishi Sunak who would have then been presented to the Conservative Party membership who would have then voted on that over the summer. And, you know, Johnson is still popular among the members. So you add those two things together and you say, well, actually, Johnson wasn't so far away from returning as prime minister. Now, so that gives you an inkling of the level of support he has. Now, I think there are a couple of caveats on that. One is that the list that he apparently presented to Graham Brady was, you know, not necessarily to be trusted. There were people on that list who who apparently were supporting Boris Johnson, who said that they weren't supporting Boris Johnson. So let's see how much sort of showmanship there is. But I think it's much, much harder for him now. He's outside of Parliament. He um, if he's going to stand in any seat, he needs the leader of the party to sign off on that, um, to to accept him, you know, uh, standing in a certain seat. That seems, uh, I, if if I was a Conservative Party leader, at any point, I would be reluctant for, to, to have Boris Johnson back in Parliament sniffing around. So that's a hurdle. Um, he's also just deeply unpopular in the country. And so that's the second big hurdle. So I, I, I don't know. I, I, I don't think it's impossible because the Labour Party is likely to win the next election and then, and therefore there's going to be some bloodletting in the Conservative Party. But it seems very difficult for me now, for, for him now, I think. And why do you think he's suddenly so unpopular? You say that two years ago, you know, he was being thanked for COVID. So what changed public perception? Well, I think the sense that, um, he had he had lied to them and that he had um you know that he had he was sort of taking the mick out of the country so i think for a long time this is how i see it anyway for a long time johnson had uh had taken the mick out of the establishment he had taken uh he had taken the mickey out of those who deserved the mickey to be taken out of them he sort of nodded and winked at you uh the public and said look these guys who take themselves so seriously you shouldn't take themselves so ser- you shouldn't take them as seriously he was a lovable as- rogue a false a false staffian figure and a certain yeah. part of the british character i think responds warmly to that until covid exactly and i think also it suited the times you know this is a time post um 1990 end of the cold war end of history all of that where you had these um this dominance from the center uh and a, and a sense that um politics was not really a, a a debate about values or a debate about uh you know economic systems uh but about managerial uh, you know who can manage it 
best. You know, everybody agrees on on virtually everything. You know, the the Bank of England manages interest rates and inflation. The economy uh, just ticks along like this. You know, nobody really wants to change it very much. You know, one one point here or there on on tax rates, but that's essentially agreed. And you just take that money and you invest it into public services. And maybe the Conservatives will invest a little bit less or a little bit more, but you know. But broadly, the politics had been solved, you know, in this uh, in this period. And Johnson's there, sort of mocking that and um, laughing at these figures and and undermining these people like uh, Tony Blair and Alistair Campbell and all of these kind of uh, people, and and also doing something um, which was unique, which was laughing at himself. Um, and so everybody else is is very serious, uh, austere kind of people, and he's laughing at himself. So obviously the public's like that. I think once you become prime minister, it's obviously very different, isn't it? Because you're, um, it, it, it's a difficult thing to laugh at yourself as prime minister because you're the authority. You're having to make rules for everybody else, that everybody else has to follow, uh, and that's difficult. And particularly in an emergency, a public health emergency, you know, that is. You, you just can't you can't do that you can't at one hand lock people up in their houses and then kind of wink at them and say this is all a bit of a nonsense isn't it you know obviously i don't believe in this i don't i know i don't wear my mask i don't i know i don't i don't actually think that this is a good idea um that's that's a very different sell than um than you know winking and mocking authority from the outside i think that's a really uh, do you think point. Resignation on his list is also, in a sense, part of this, in a sense, taking the mickey, um, because clearly he was putting into the House of Lords someone who was he was advised by intelligence services not to 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 put there. Um, there are a number. I mean, he was putting in a young woman who worked in his office into the House of Lords in her twenties. I mean, do you think this has stimulated the demand for some sort of constitutional change? Because we have now. The, the Keir Starmer talking about putting in a hundred peers to get a majority in the House of Lords. Um, and do you think, I mean, the public are beginning to feel that politicians are in it just for themselves rather than to run the country? Well, this is, this gets back to an interesting sort of conundrum about Boris Johnson, I guess, in that he, he benefited from the sense that all politicians are the same and that they, you know, that they're all corrupt and that they all put you know, their cronies into number 10. Uh, and so he feels kind of um, protected. You know, he just he says, well, well, of course I'm going to do this. It's the shamelessness of Johnson that is so striking. It's, it's like, you know, other people will do it, but they won't put a 20, what, how old was she again? I can't remember, 28, yeah. 29. Yeah, I won't put a 29-year-old, but I'll put a 40-year-old, you know, or somebody. You know, I'll put, you know, what did Harold Macmillan, I think, was it was it Harold Wilson put his barber, you know, in, gave him an honour, you know. And Harold Macmillan um, also was advised by the civil service not to uh, give various people honours and, and ignored them and said, no, I'm going to do it. So this has been going on for, you know, what's that, 70 years, 60 years. Uh, but it's the shamelessness, I think, that is so striking. You just kind of go, my God, you know, that none of these people seem to uh, seem to justify it. It's not just a few. It's kind of, you know, Lord Lebedev of Siberia. You know, that is a striking thing to, to read. Um, and that is the um, I think that is Johnson's problem. And it comes on top of all of the other things. You know, it just seems so 
strikingly contemptuous of the rules. But of course, that was always his superpower. You know, and I think this is the interesting thing with Johnson. He's not a uh, an sort of anarchic, uh, let's burn this down kind of figure. Like I'm sort of like Cummings is a bit of a sort of Maoist, you know, let's, let's burn this down and start again. Johnson's not that. He's never been that. You know, he's, he's a person who uh, breaks the rules within the establishment, you know, from Eton, Oxford, Spectator, Telegraph and Parliament. He goes in, he mocks those who are in charge in these institutions as kind of stuffy old shirts who, you know, you can just ignore uh, and get things done. But he doesn't actually want to tear the system down. Uh, and that's the contradiction with Johnson. Do you think his vendetta with Cummings was the beginning of the end? I mean, we probably mm. haven't heard the full story, but it seems that Downing Street was 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 just a complete, shambles of competing factions one led by his wife carrie and one led by cummings and then cummings losers and then he's now outside calling johnson all kinds of names and one hears leaking stories about the parties i mean do you think if, if he if he kept tight with his consigliere he might still have survived or or, or, or not yeah i thought that it wasn't just the beginning of, of the end sort of personally it was the beginning in the of the end of of um johnson with any kind of grip or agenda you know so again going back to this this idea of him needing his own prime minister to be prime minister johnson had alighted on a on an agenda that seemed quite powerful and potentially transformative in british politics which was to make making sense of brexit by saying okay it's a uh it's a call for a different type of economy uh which is uh more geographically fair the leveling up the north so that it's um it's of a similar sort of wealth and prosperity as the south um and this brexit would be the kind of spur for this now you know we we can we can argue about whether it actually helps or makes it harder um but you can see the logic of that and you can see both the electoral logic changing the map in Britain, um, creating a, a conservative, a sort of permanent conservative majority, or you know, semi-permanent, um, and and also you can see the logic in that for the for the UK state as a whole, which has become fragile and uh, imbalanced uh, in the South. The union is fragile, so all of these things make sense. Rebalance the economy away from the southeast to the north of England, those places which voted Brexit, um, to Scotland, to Northern Ireland, to Wales, places that are poor. And he had alighted on this as the uh, 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 uniting the country and levelling up. And this was the sort of post-Brexit mission. And it was driven in large part by Dominic Cummings, who um, who sort of believes this and has this kind of righteous fury about the ineffectiveness of the British state um, and the sort of, in his view, the kind of charlatans that are running it, that just cre- have created this system that is dysfunctional and has left much of the country poor and much of the state ineffective. And that's that's Cummings' view. And I felt with when Cummings left, um, that project to remake the British state and to remake the British economy um, really lost its driving force. And with that, what was left? What was left of Johnsonism? Where was the, where was the kind of cohesion there? And, and I think that shows you that to a certain 
extent, there was a shallowness of the of the project. You know, there wasn't a, a, there wasn't a depth of belief in the Conservative Party, and you saw that with the election of Liz Truss, who essentially jumped most of what Johnson and Cummings had uh, had stood for. Um, and Johnson now is, is sort of sounds more like a Trussite uh, than he ever did in, in, in government. So I felt there was a loss of a sort of ideological cohesion with uh, or drive purpose when Cummings left. But as you say, more importantly than that is that he just lost control of this person who uh, who had uh, an ability, an enormous ability, it turned out to undermine him. Um, and he did so. And this is unique for Johnson in a way. He doesn't tend to fall out with people. If you go back through his career, he has these tremendous fallouts. You know, he cheats on his wives. He, um, he lies to his bosses. Uh, and yet, apart from a few figures, Max Hastings and, and a few others, he doesn't tend to, um, cause real personal animosity in people a lot of people tend to quite like him and and sort of forgive, forgive him. him yeah the name f- we haven't mentioned is michael gove because this is all again part of the psychodrama this is all part of the leveling up i mean was what's the state of that relationship and would uh, in some ways i thought michael gove was the person who was in some ways driving many of the the reforms yeah, I mean, you could trace it back, couldn't you, all the way to the, um, the, the, the few days after the referendum in 2016, where it was all set. It was all set for Johnson to go and win the conservative leadership, uh, supported by Michael Gove, who would, who would probably have taken up this position as his, you know, prime minister <laughs> in effect, you know, the man in, the man in charge, his willy. Um, and then they fell out, um, over that weekend and Michael Gove, went and set up his own leadership campaign uh, and the psychodrama is fascinating you know michael gove um the adopted uh boy uh from the north of scotland who who has spent his life among these kind of oxbridge etonian type figures pres- secretly resenting them perhaps somewhere in his soul sort of well Yes, he has. I mean, he's not so secretly. I think he has been quite open about the sort of um, public school mafia. Um, But I mean, I think one of the interesting things is, I mean, Boris bottled out then. He bottled out when he maybe had those 100 uh, MPs supporting him after Truss went. So in some ways, he he wants this job uh, and he seems to keep wanting it. And yet when it comes to the crunch, he doesn't in some ways seize the the, the mace. He always thinks uh, that he, you know, he has t- his time will come, you know, stay in the game and you will, you know, your, a, ch- a chance will be there. Never, you know, never discount yourself. Always stay in the game uh, and wait for your moment. And I guess it worked for him, you know, and uh, that not many people actually become prime minister. Look at those extraordinary figures who, who didn't, uh, you know, your Heseltines of this world, um, your Rab Butlers and all of these figures who who were, who went uh, again and again, Ken Clark, uh, whereas Johnson made it. Um, and uh, but you're right, it is interesting. But maybe he's good at he's good at judging these moments. Um, maybe if he had stood against Gove, uh, he wouldn't have won the second time. Um, you know, if he if he had stood against Gove in 2016, I think though there's clearly, uh, you know, it gets at this kind of slapdash um chaotic character who could have wrapped it up back then 
um and he didn't need to, for this to for this to happen during his uh during his premiership he just he really didn't uh, and again he you know he he'd made up with with michael gove and then he fell out with him towards the end again he fell out with rishi sunak uh so he does i mean i was saying before that he he, he people tend to forgive him and that is a a running theme of his uh of his career and his life um and yet there is also an, another running theme which those people who get close to him get burnt and get discarded um and so you see you see the the two sides of him and i think this is this gets at the the, the character of boris johnson he he is uh, a far more complicated um figure a, a loner a kind of slightly depressive uh sad character in many ways uh when he is alone um you know he's 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 the guy that everyone says the, the the politician that people say they want to go to the pub with uh and yet he doesn't go to the pub you know he doesn't it doesn't, doesn't really do parties which is funny given that parties have kind of brought him down but there is one place i think you'd agree Tom. one place where he will always be popular i suspect and that's ukraine i mean they're naming their children after him and not ones that he's fathered we assume <laughs> wouldn't put it past him but you know they love him there, and for good reason. I think it's probably his one great achievement, in my opinion, is that he saw the danger. Forget his previous involvement with the Russians; we know that was terrible. But he did act. Most of the European Union leaders didn't, um, and maybe that's one side of his character. That in the end, his impetuousness, courage—I don't know what would you call it—or has the, he the, taken did the world some good? Or has he taken credit for other people's work, like Ben Wallace? Well, maybe Ben Wallace was important too. Of course, yeah. So I would say that I, I, yeah, I think the most interesting thing is is exactly as you say. There is um, there are character traits that can have beneficial uh, results uh, in certain circumstances and have disastrous results in other circumstances. And I think his impetuousness, his his refusal to bow to authority, his uh, the the fact that he just doesn't care what the foreign office are telling him, that he thinks they're all a bit useless and soft and uh have no courage all of these things um that helped i think in uh in ukraine i think ben wallace has done has done well but i think i think it comes from the top ben wallace was able to operate skillfully uh in an environment which he had been given the green light to start shipping arms to to ukraine and, and and get on board that that's that's how that's how i see it um but i think it's the same uh impetuousness and belief in in character that actually what's most important is not rules and um structures it's character um that cost him so dearly in the pandemic um and and in other ways you know all of these silly scandals about uh, you know wallpaper um uh, you know internal decorations in his downing street flat just not abiding by the rules getting money from somebody else you know that i i think that is also him just going oh just ignore you know uh yeah. the cabinet secretary the civil what the civil servants are doing just was just somebody sorted out and do it and uh and that gets him into trouble but it's the same thing i do think that he says in ukraine i'll just ignore those doomsayers in uh you know in the foreign office or the mod just get the stuff out to out to ukraine 
Interesting. And do you think a change in his domestic circumstances has also uh, affected him? I mean, he had a long-term marriage with a woman who was seemed to be giving him good advice. And he's now, as, as Phil says, a wife who's in a sense at war with his advisors and, and who wants to interfere more overtly. Yeah, I think it's an interesting, uh, it's an interesting debate, isn't it? Because it's very hard to know from the outside whether the kind of Lady Macbeth, uh, stereotype of Carrie is, uh, fair or, or not, you know, and there's people inside who, who were work, working in number 10 who, who still don't know, you know, they just don't know, uh, whether, uh, Carrie was working against them. Uh, or whether it was always Johnson and Johnson would say, you know, what can I do? It's her upstairs, you know, and, and, <laughs> and ultimately that's, um, that, uh, that is something that, um, is bad for Johnson rather than Carrie principally in that, you know, he, he comes across as either, he's either weak, uh, in that he's being told what to do by his wife and he's the prime minister, you know, for Christ's sake. Or he is too, um, you know, he's too weak to, to admit that it's his decision and that he wants to get rid of somebody. And so he's using his wife as an excuse. No, we just don't know. That's the truth. And people who are, who are in there don't know. You know, there are lots of people who obviously feel that Carrie was this major destabilizing force. People like, uh, Cummings and, and those who are uh, loyal to Cummings. Um, and yes, it is interesting, isn't it, to go back and think that I get one of the the chaotic things around Johnson's life in this period of time has been that his relationship with his second wife, Marina, the white, the, the mother of uh, four of his children, uh, probably the, the most stable relationship he's had in his life, broke down before he became prime minister. And what looks at the outset from the outside, like a bit of a tempestuous relationship with Carrie um, started. Um, and you remember that story of the police being called to the flat in the, the wine on the sofa. Yeah. And you know, this is, this shouldn't happen before a leadership, you know, before you become prime minister. Um, it just shouldn't, you know, those things are mad distractions that you can't. You, People who don't know that there was a shouting match. He apparently spilled a bottle of wine. She was cross. Uh, and yeah. somebody actually called the police because they were worried about people shouting at each other in the flat. Yeah, they were worried about her, weren't they? Um, and it became a, a national story. And yeah, that gives you an, a sense of the of the chaos and the tempestuous nature of that relationship. But who's to say? I mean, you know, we could be we could be having this conversation in twenty years time, and he's still with Carrie, and it turns out that she's the love of his life, and uh, you know, she's the stabilizing force after he'd left Parliament. Well. Uh, who knows? Who knows? We're talking, we've only got a minute or so left. Talk, and thank you so much for this really insightful conversation. What do you think his long-term effect on British politics will be, if any? I mean, will, will, the, will he kind of – how will he be remembered? Well, I think he'll be remembered, you know, badly uh, in that uh, he has – the people who hate him hate him with such a vehemence and for legitimate reasons um, that uh, – and he and he is, uh, you know, he's given so much ammunition to people in the way he's behaved um, that they'll look at him as a sort of uh, as a low point for standards and you know decency and all of that. Um, I do think, though, um, the, the 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 
the core um his core legacy is going to be brexit you know he inherited a situation that was as bad as the one that theresa may faced you know no majority in parliament for any form of brexit or for remain and he turned that into a majority at the election to get britain out of the european union and then he delivered that uh, drawing a a trade border within the uk between great britain and northern ireland so his his legacy is actually one that will last for far longer than almost any other legacy of any other prime minister because it's so stark so that's i think ultimately what he'll be he'll be remembered for well in 20 years time we'll have you on again <laughs> yes. well, so, I hope a bit sooner than that who knows <laughs> boris may be back a lot sooner than Yes. Well, Andrew, might, Andrew could be publishing his next biography. Who knows? Well, I wonder if we're ever going to get a, a biography that really gets to the heart of the enigmatic Boris. Well, perhaps you have to write it, Andrew. Anyway, Tom, thank you so much. <laughs> really appreciate your time. Keep thanks me. very much. That's really interesting. No problem. Always. Enjoy the conversation. Thank you so much. Yeah, thanks. Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to the Scandalmongers podcast. This has been a podcast world production. You can get in contact with our show by emailing team at podcastworld.org, placing Scandalmongers in the heading, or via our social media links within the show's bio. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus... Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.